0: So this week, one of the guys in our staff had eye surgery, and, and so I saw him later that day, and he had a patch on his eye, which just begs for jokes about pirates, doesn't it? So I, I, I saw him the next day, and and, and, I, and we were with some staff people, so I, I told him this story. It's about a pirate that walks into a bar, and the sailor sees him there, and it's the first pirate the sailor's ever seen. So he says to him, he starts talking to him. He says, are you a pirate? He says, arr, I am a pirate. He said, well, let me ask you a question. What happened to your hand? Because he has his hook. And, and he said, arr. My ship sank and I was floating and this, this, this shark came and bit me hand off. I said, oh. He said, so what happened to your leg? Because he got a peg leg. And he said, arr. I was, I was fighting a scallywag. And my foot slipped. I fell, and he cut off my leg. He said, well, what happened to your eye? Because he got this patch. And he said, arr. A seagull pooped in my eye. <laughs> he said, well, why would that cause a problem? He said, oh, it was my first day with the hook. Yeah, you got it. Now everybody say, like, "R. Here you go." <laughs> so so the, the truth of the matter is this: whenever we face a change of life, a change of lifestyle, whenever we, we, we focus on, on something that's new for us, that we've got to change the way we have been or the way that we we're going to have to be, it's got to change. It comes with difficulty and sometimes with pain. So I want to tell you, point blank, that if you are a follower of Jesus, that you will go, for, go through transformative life change. It just does happen. It does. And a lot of times, it is not easy to do. A lot of times, it creates pain. But Jesus wants you to know today that even with that pain and even with that difficulty, what will happen as you go through this is that you will not come up short-sighted, but you will come up with very clear vision. Of what's ahead for you as you walk through this. So, Jesus comes and he sits on a bench. And and it's a really important moment for Jesus. He sits on a bench because he's been the center of attention for, for many, many hours. And suddenly, as if he puts it on pause, he sits down and he stays there for quite a while just watching. Now, what has just transpired is that Jesus has just come into Jerusalem on what we would call Palm Sunday, in that parade. And after he has arrived, he spends several days in the temple. It's in that temple that we know that Jesus became like a madman. He made a whip. He chases out livestock. He tosses over tables. He he rushes people out of the court of the Gentiles. He's like a crazy man. And then it seemed like every moment that he's walking through the temple he's having a confrontation with a teacher of the law. The intensity grows and the tension is palpable, palpable. It is just it is just like you can cut it with a knife. And his last public confrontation is brutal. And it goes like this. He turns to a group of teachers of the law. Let's say that you all are the teachers of the law right here. And he points to them and he says this. Beware of these teachers of religious law for they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces. And how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head table at the banquets, yet they shamelessly, shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. And because of this, they will be more severely punished. And those teachers of the law hated Jesus. I wonder why. It is much like someone who would point to a televangelist who promises you that if you send him a hundred dollars, that he promises you that you will receive in return some anointed hankies and a healing and an impartation and houses and cars and three assorted angels with fairy dust, you get it all, while all the time, he's living in mansions and flying lear jets. And Jesus is calling them out. Making clear what others may never dare believe, let alone say. And these teachers, they they look the part. They've got the uniform. They've got the title. They are the A-listers walking the red carpet to any party that's really a party. They are there. These men of God... Because they are these men of God, do not receive a salary. Therefore, they can only live off of the donations from their patrons, and the easy marks are the widows. These unsuspecting widows who need the attention and the protection. So every once in a while, my mom will call me, and she'll say, hey, I just got this thing, an email, and they say that I'm supposed to send them this information or send them this money. And I'll say, mom, 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 wait, 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 wait. It's a scam. Yeah, but, but it came over the internet. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, but they, it really looks official. Mom, it's a scam. But, but and see, the, the issue is this, that if my dad were still alive, he'd be protecting her from this issue. And she lives on a very limited income. It can't increase. It's those kind of women, these unscrupulous men, have encouraged to give more than they could, those women could possibly ever give and be able to live. And their long prayers and their long robes mask this greed. So Jesus went public on their entitlement. And that's the deal with entitlement. Entitlement creates a justified, self-focused society. We all belong to some kind of society that tells us that this is what we are entitled to. The society we live in sets the baseline for our wealth. This is what you should have. This is what you deserve. This is how you should live. And that's what we strive for, just to get to that spot. So Pam and I, years ago, were invited to bring our family and move to Boise, Idaho and start a church. And the people that, that were, were putting all of this together, there were three families, said, come join us. And so we said, fine, they said, but we want you to live in this neighborhood. Gonna, we found a place for you to lease. It's in this neighborhood. And because this is our target group, this is our demographic, these are the people we want to touch. And so I said, great. So we, we moved into this neighborhood and it was upper wealthy class. It was, it was middle class and above and, and everybody was pretty affluent And and it didn't take long for you to realize that there was a baseline, that that if you live here, this is how you should live here. Even to the place that if I did not keep my lawn exactly the way it should be, they would hire somebody to come do my yard and and do my my trim and, and all that needs to be done and then send me the bill if it wasn't done good enough. Nice people, but there was this baseline that had to be met. We would go to their parties, and they're wonderful people, people who need to know how much Jesus loves them. We'd go to their parties, and they would talk about their latest vacations while Pam and I were worried about paying for our latest vaccinations because we didn't have a whole lot of money. They all drove luxury cars. We drove an old Ford Tempo. The air conditioning was the windows down. We felt poor. Why did you feel poor? Because we were under that baseline of wealth. And therefore, we thought if they, if, if they, they have it and, and we're here with them, then we're entitled to that also. So a really unique thing happened about nine months into this, maybe a year. As people started gathering with us, we noticed that there were some some pretty big guys sitting in the back of the auditorium, We found out that they were football players for Boise State University, and they were followers of Jesus. Next thing we know, they're they're inviting their friends, and I I get the call from the running back, he says, hey, I got a problem. I said, what is it? He said, I got too many people to bring in my car, can you get me help? I said, can I get you help? So we started having all these Boise State University students hanging out with us. Then we went onto on the local radio station, uh, rock station, and, and began to, in a very unique ad, began to invite people to just come join with us, and soon we had a lot of people showing up with tattoos and piercings. And then, I don't know how this happened, we ended up with 10 to 15 former Satan worshipers that were there supporting each other and, and getting out of this satanic worship stuff, and they're hanging out with us. We started listening to their stories, all of their stories and their issues and their, and their own poverty and we began to realize that we weren't as poor as we thought. In fact, they were blowing away the baseline and our entitlement. And one day, one of the founding elders of the church came to me and said, hey, we have the wrong people coming here. We need to keep going for these people that have this baseline, in essence, is what he said. How easy it is to miss the poverty in front of us when we're intent on gaining more. So I want want to show you a picture of of something that happened at a Dodgers baseball game. I don't know if you can see it, but there's this guy reaching, it's the man in the hat reaching for a, a, a baseball, and just below him you'll see a little figure. He had been holding his daughter. And when the ball came his way, he dropped her. She's okay, but he just totally let go of her. And boy, did the fans shame that guy. Paul calls it parakletos. He said, because you are community, here's what you need to do. Parakletos is a Greek word that's also used for the Holy Spirit, which means one who comes alongside of you, and if need be, will carry you until you're strong enough to walk on your own. The truth of the, the, truth of the, of, of the matter is this. That you cannot carry someone else at the same time that you want to carry your entitlement. It's impossible. You can't keep going for that baseline and carry someone who has a need. You have to carry one or the other. And Jesus said, these guys, these guys are supposed to be carrying these widows. And instead, they've dropped them so they can reach their baseline of entitlement. And even now, have begun to rip them off so that they could reach their entitlement. And once they reach their entitlement, they'll be okay. And I don't think these guys started out this way. I think they had a deep desire to serve Jehovah God. But they got in this culture, in this society that said, well, here, you you should be honored. You are entitled and you should have these things. And so they sought out the entitlement long before they sought out the serving of people who are in need. And so they moved toward the baseline, and that's the problem with the baseline. The baseline always keeps moving. Because we have studied these last couple of weeks that no matter where we think that baseline is, the more we have, the more we think we need, and the more we want, and the more we're entitled to. We do not know how to be content. We talked about it last week, and please, if you've not been listening, coming on on Sunday, would you go back and get the podcast and listen to those? Contentment simply is a state of mind that is at peace, knowing that God has given me what I need today and it's enough for today and I don't have to worry about tomorrow because he will get me to where I need to be to have what I need for tomorrow. He'll give me wisdom on how to get it ready or he will put it in my hands but tomorrow will be okay and that he's given me so much today that what I have at this moment is so packed full of enjoyment for me today that if I go looking for what's tomorrow, I will miss the enjoyment that he has for me today. Contentment says, I know that, and I'm okay. And that's why Paul the Apostle directs his protege, Timothy, to say to the people in Ephesus, to say to the rich people, you who are rich, don't let this happen to you. You say, well, wait, 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 we'll stop there because I'm not rich. Well, maybe we have a faulty baseline. It's because we say, see, I'll be rich if, if, if I have that. Maybe that's a faulty baseline. Maybe that's a false entitlement. So let me, let me help us realize some things. Do you know that most of us in this room can work five days a week and get seven days of food? Most people in the world can't do that. Did you know that for many in this room, you can you can work and what you make will take care of three or four people? Not like that in most of the world. See, we we think we're owed two days for the weekend. That's the deal. I get two days off for the weekend. I'm owed that. Not in most of the world. Do you know that even if you work 60 hours a week and you sleep eight hours a night, we still have 52 hours of discretionary time? Most of the world doesn't get that. So we are much richer than we think, but we don't think we're rich because there's this baseline that we've been told that we have to reach, that we're entitled. So Paul says this command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. And so to teach that lesson, Jesus goes where the wealthy are and he sits down. And Mark records what happened. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money in the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Now I want you to understand something. Just to say that Jesus is sitting is a real rare thing because Mark never talks about Jesus sitting down except maybe four times. So for Jesus to sit, this is an awesome moment. Secondly, in the temple, it is against the law for anyone to sit. So why is Jesus sitting? There are those who will tell you that Jesus is sitting because he's declaring that he is from the throne of David and David is the king that made that temple and therefore he is a king. Others say he's sitting because he's about to pronounce judgment, which he does later on. And others say that the only person who can sit on the throne in the temple is God himself. And Jesus says, that's me. I'm the guy. Where does he sit? He sits across from the treasury. And so at the treasury, you would walk in with your offering. You would come in and you would say to the priest out loud, I have brought this much. I brought this much of coins because they didn't have paper money. And this is for my sin offering. This is for my wave offering. This is for my first fruits. And everybody would cheer, yay! And then he would go to the selected shofar box for 13 of them sat there and the money had to go in the right one and the shofar box is a box with shofar horns at the top of them and they would take the coins and they would begin to throw them down into the horns and you could hear the money clang all the way down those horns into the box and these rich people were filling it up you could hear it clang 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 on and on and on and on many rich people coming in declaring clang 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 and it is just an amazing sight except for one box. She walks up and declares nothing because it is a free will offering and she doesn't have to announce it. And she takes two coins and puts them into the shofar box. Clang, clang, clang. That's it. And Jesus says, ah, This is the deal. See, don't miss the contrast. One woman, widow, poor. Many rich men. Her husband has died, and because her husband has died, she has no right to the inheritance. And the only way that she can live is by begging. And she comes with two copper coins. It's the smallest currency in Palestine. There is no equivalent in the Roman Empire or the Greek world. It's 164th, 164th of a day's wage. It's six to seven minutes of work. And what is amazing about this, and Mark says, look, she gave two. She could have given one, but she gave both, underscoring her generosity. She could have kept one for herself. And Jesus calls the boys over, and he says to his disciples, I don't think you just saw what you should have seen. And so Jesus says this. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more in the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. Now, if I'm you at this moment, you're thinking, oh, he's coming in for the kill, and you're going to put your fingers in your ears and say, I don't want to hear this. Keep the fingers out of your ears. Turn to the person next to you and say, wake up. Oh, you can do better than that. Louder. Wake up. up. There we go. Because this seems so insignificant to most people, it would put them to sleep. But Jesus says, this is so magnanimous. This is the greatest thing that you could ever see. See, the rich give, he says, from their remains. So, So I was with a friend, and we were at a Cleveland Indians... A baseball game and so we had gone we paid for parking, we paid for tickets, we paid for hot dogs, we paid for pretzels, we paid for, for our drink and, and, and whatever else we paid for and so we're on our way out of the game and there's a guy with a cup and a sign that says any help any help is appreciated I reach in my pocket and I pull out what is ever left from that adventure and I put it in the cup, I gave the remains another way to say that is that I gave and the rich people gave those things that they could no longer consume because they already consumed as much as they could. So they just gave what was left over. The widow gave from her poverty. For me to have done that, I would have to stop by this guy and reach in my pocket and pull out my, all my grocery money for the remainder of my pay period and say, here, that's yours, and I have nothing to eat on from that point. And Jesus says, she gave more. didn't sound like more. The gift is best measured against the financial worth of the giver. Doing good is not measured by the amount, but by the percentage. Rich people generally give less than poor people. Serious? Yeah. Why? Because rich people, when they start giving, say, look how much I'm giving. So when there's a crisis in the world or in America and the celebrities get together and they're trying to raise money and one of them stands up and says, I'm going to give a million bucks, and he goes, wow, a million bucks. Not understanding that that year their net, their net gain was 10 million. So what did they give? 10%. That's, that's pretty good. 10%. My mom, who's a widow, on a fixed income, Starts with 10%, and she gives it to the community of faith so that that the people that she worships with and she hangs with and who are her support, those people had the benefit of what she has so that she can support them, whatever they're facing. And then I'll hear through the year that she got with a single mom who's really struggling and gave that person $200. And I'm saying, Mom, where did that come from? And I know that she's suffering someplace else, but she gave it. And when she does that a couple of times throughout the year, I'm asking you, who gave more, the millionaire or my mom, the widow? Jesus says, the widow. So Paul says the rich should be rich in good deeds and be generous. Another way to say that is that those who are rich should give above average because you have that ability. Rich people should give larger sums and higher percentages. That's God's baseline. That's that's his culture. We are to be above average in our giving. And to do that, we need to know what our percentage is because most people give spontaneously. Most people give by accident. Most people give by emotion. So in January of 2016, we'll, we'll get receipts from places that we've given and suddenly it'll dawn on us, hey, well we gave to that thing and, and here's, here's our donation. It's, it's, it's for, for the tax purposes but there it is. We forgot all, that was an accident. We didn't realize we even gave that because we, we gave it and we, and we forgot about it. Most people give that way. Above average giving takes pre-decision. It's not by accident because you see the very emotion that made you want to donate to Emma to get her on the mercy ship in South Africa right now. It's the same emotion that hits you this week when you hear that Kohl's is having their clearance sale on Friday and, and they're giving out Kohl's dollars and you got one of those things in the mail and you ripped it off and you got 30% off. And you know then it's God's will. <laughs> Gotta get there. Same emotion. So you can't give just necessarily of emotion. It's got to be an act of the will. It's a decision. So let me give you a simple strategy when it comes to giving away your stuff. Number one, set aside a percentage to live on. It's called a budget. And if you don't know about budgets, we've got a Financial Peace University starting in the fall. Come be part of that, and Dave Ramsey will show you and shame you into a budget. This is what I can live on. Number two, set aside a percentage to save, absolutely save. And I can't think of anybody that does it better than Dave Ramsey. So he says, look, right now you need to put aside $1,000, get up to that point where you have $1,000 so that when you have emergencies, when the refrigerator quits or or the brakes go out in the car, you've got the money. So you don't put yourself in debt. And when you get debt-free, then save up anywhere from four to six months of your income because you never know what's going to happen in the world around you. So take care of that. And you say, is that really biblical? Yeah, check out the book of Proverbs and you'll see. Store up, not to hoard, but to be ready. Number three, set aside a percentage to give away right now. And do that first, because if you don't do it first, the, the, the emotion that got you to want to give could be the same emotion that takes away that giving by saying, well, but wait a minute, I could use it over here. Give it away first. Not the leftovers, because that's what the rich were doing. So where do you start? Well, when Pam and I got married, we decided we would start with, with putting a percentage of 10%. And and the reason we do that is because we we looked in the scripture and felt like there was this biblical thing called tithe. And you say, well, the tithe was Old Testament. Well, Jesus talked about it too. In fact, the tithe was before the law, and it was so important, it was put in the law. And then Jesus talked about it afterward as a moral obligation. And he said, you put in 10% and you bring it into the community of faith to take care of people around you and where the church can take care of people outside of the church. And you give that 10%. And as a result of that, Jesus made clear and God made clear that the 90% that you live off of will actually go further than the 100% you started with if you are wise in your financial dealings and you give away that 10%. And I can tell you from even having times of not having jobs and barely making it by that we continue to give 10% of what we had and we have never lacked. You say, "Oh, well, wow, I 10% and start there. Look, the median income in America is $50,000 a year. And most of those people give 6% to charity by accident. Should we, as the followers of Jesus, at least start there? And then pick up the pace as you see God bless you. And as he does, as your income goes up, don't let the percentage go down. So I have a friend who has a business here in Erie. And several years ago, he stood up He was sitting right back over there, and he stood up when we prayed for people who had businesses that God would give them favor and send in customers, and people who owed them money would pay. And his business was really struggling, and we prayed, and two things happened. Number one, after we prayed, things started to pick up, and number two, he realized that God was telling him that he should give a tithe, a percentage, maybe not a tithe, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was a percentage of his business's income. So he started giving that income, And or that, that percentage. In fact, I'm thinking through now. I think it was 10%, so he, he called it a tithe. So, so he, and tithe means 10%. So he started giving a tithe. And the business began to grow. And I would sit with him and say, you know, it started with this. It started with that prayer, and it started with my giving, giving away things. He's a very generous person. One day I saw him and I said, hey, I haven't seen you for several months. How's it going? He said, well, the last two months were really killer. I said, well, what was the problem? He said, I realized that I got so busy I forgot to tithe. He said, so I, I made that up and gave it to where it needed to go. And he said, suddenly my business kicked back in again. I'm not telling you that giving is a magic formula, but I am telling you this. That as you create a wise strategy for your family or business, and include giving, you will be blessed by God. So Paul says, don't migrate away from your hope in God. Be generous as he's allowed you to be generous. Don't hope in stuff. So how do we not hope in stuff? In entitlement, into baseline income? Do more for others. Secondly, give more to others. And thirdly, free to side. so so I've been challenging you in these last weeks to to go with an idea through the week of being generous to look for opportunity to give because some people need that but I, I recognize something different this week not only do people need that that you give but I need to give and, and let me demonstrate what I mean So I was at a conference this week with a bunch of friends and and it was a great conference and it was Friday afternoon and it was the last session and before the last session went in I went and talked to a friend who was there and we're talking and I happened to be wearing my favorite watch then. It's a really cool watch. It's got a thin face and it had a really cool red band and I was styling. Just so cool. He said, that is such a cool watch. He said, I've always wanted a red watch. I said, cool. Cool. I go back and sit down for the last session and I'm watching this and the Holy Spirit's talking to me and I feel like the Holy Spirit says to me, give him your watch. I said, Holy Spirit, he is not poor. He has a watch. I saw it on his wrist. I said, give him your watch. This is not you, Holy Spirit. This is Satan. it's my favorite watch. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said this is not necessarily for him though he'll enjoy it. This is for you because I want you to learn to carry everything with an open hand. Okay, God, I love the other watch better. No, no. <laughs> I know. So, I unstrapped it during the session. I put it in my pocket. I walked over to where this guy was. He was behind a counter and tried not to, to be conspicuous and I just leaned over and I, I said, you know, we're doing this thing at, our, at Erie First and, and we're walking through this series and I challenge people to find ways to give away stuff. He said, oh yeah. And I took up my watch and I slid it across I said, and God told me to give this to you. Now I'm thinking, he's going to go, oh dude, no. He said, wow, that's great. I'm putting it on right now. I'm wearing it which he did. And then he sent me a text with a picture of it. He said, look how cool this is. I was so ticked. I I texted him back. I said, shave your arms, dude. You got too much hair. (laughs) And and I got to be honest with you. I got in the car and I thought, was that just some kind of crazy emotional thing? And I felt like the Spirit of God said, no, you're hanging too tightly to that. And I want to show you how to let go of everything oh, you can't be generous. People, look this week around you and see what needs to be given away because it's in that generosity that Jesus has found. He texted me later, and not only did he say thank you to me, but I know he's giving thanks to God. And that's the important thing. Secondly, it just can't be spontaneous. It's got to be planned. Please go back, sit down, and get your budget and walk through it and say, even if it's just this percentage, I'll begin with this. And God, I'm going to plan on giving this, and I give it the first thing. When my income comes in, I give this away so that we'll become known as this community. I've been telling you this, because this community used to be known up here as the rich people on the hill, and we are rich in the sense that we're richer than we think, but we don't have a whole lot of millionaires in here. Scotty, are you a millionaire? No, okay. That's one lesson I thought, so we're good. (laughs) I want us to become known as the generous people on the hill. See, that's how... We do life together. So some of you are sitting here going, man, that's that's, that's going to be a transformational life change for me. And I I know it's going to be painful, and I I know that, that it's going to be difficult. But when we take these truths and we apply them and we change how we do life, we don't become blindsided by anything. Instead, our vision gets clearer as to what's important in life. So I want to say to you again, this week, two things. Start looking at your budget and say, what what do I really start, what percentage do I need to give away? And secondly, be aware through this week of what you can give away, people who have needs, what you have. And be ready to do that because it brings in a presence of God at that very moment and will transform you and the person you're giving to. So would you stand? So now, my prayer for you is this. May you this week have insight into the richness of the life that God has presently given you. May you become content in knowing his protection is on you and that he will not let you suffer to a degree that is beyond his control, that there are moments that that you will feel that you don't have enough, but he'll be there, he will give to you what you need. And even in those moments I pray that you will have a sense of generosity that even as the widow that you will give even what you thought you didn't have to give but you still will give it. And in doing so may you find an incredible blessing of God that multiplies back to you the ability to give more and more. May you find great enjoyment this week in what you have. And may you have great resistance against a drive to be entitled to anything beyond what God wants to give you. And may you in doing so reflect the beauty, and the generosity of a loving God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. And God bless you. Have a great week.